All right, today we're in Lesson 11. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 4. We're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. And this really has to do with Nebuchadnezzar and what God wants to teach Nebuchadnezzar. But it also has some lessons for you and I as we consider the reality of human history and as we consider the reality of history being made now and the issue of kings and their being in control. So we're going we're gonna to go through this. I'm going to make some comments of how it relates to us as we go through this. And I want you to see what's happening here. Now, this is an interesting chapter because, well, I'll tell you as we go through it. First of all, look at verses 1 to 3. We're going to see the king's proclamation. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Okay, let's look what's happening here. First of all, the recipients. The writer records a royal proclamation which was sent throughout his kingdom. So this was a proclamation, a news bulletin, a news flash, a proclamation, a, a royal decree that was sent throughout the Babylonian Empire. Okay? Now here's the purpose. The king wanted to declare the wonders that the God had done for him. So he wanted to declare the wonders that God had done for him. And, and so here's what Here's the praise. The king, de- the king declares the greatness of God's work and, and his sovereignty forever. So he declares the greatness of God's work and his sovereignty forever. Now let me just stop for a moment. Somebody will stop right now and maybe you've got a question in your mind. You're saying, well, did Nebuchadnezzar become a believer in Yahweh? Did he become a believer in the true God? I think at this point when he's writing the decree, yes, he believes that God is all-powerful, all-sovereign. But does that mean that he's a believer, that he's saved? Probably not. And I'll tell you why. Nebuchadnezzar is polytheistic. Nebuchadnezzar believes in more than one God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so it just happens to be that God, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, or Jehovah, has shown himself to be greater than all the other gods. Okay, so he's just simply acknowledging that fact. What we're going to see is is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to have an experience now. We're going to see it now in verses in verse 4 through 37, where he's going to understand that this God is the one who gives him the ability to do what he's doing. He can't claim it for himself. Because remember, up until this time, when you've looked at Nebuchadnezzar, was he a humble guy? No, no, he wasn't humble at all, was he? Uh, was he pretty meek? No, no, not, not meek at all. So what we're going to see here is really the humbling of a king. And when you see what God does to him, aren't you glad he doesn't do that to us? Because we all struggle with pride, don't we? If you don't think you've struggled with pride, you're prideful. Okay, so let's look together at what's going on here. Let's look at the second dream. There's actually going to be some differences here 
uh, with the second dream from the first dream. We're going to see a change in his attitude, at least in one aspect. But look with me. Look with me. First of all, we're going to look at the dream part, which is verses 4 through 18. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in him was the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. And these were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its great height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the visions of my head that while on my bed there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts go out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by decree of the watchers and the sentence of the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills and sets it over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. But you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, the setting of the dream. First of all, this section of scripture was written from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar. So when you're reading this, you need to understand, this is a, it's kind of like this Nebuchadnezzar's telling you what's happening here. This is not Daniel recording it. This is Nebuchadnezzar informing you of what had happened here. First of all, he describes himself as resting in his palace. Oh, the life of a king. Oh, you want to take a nap? Take a nap when you want to. Okay, so he's resting in his palace. Okay, he's taking a nap. Now, the king had a dream that terrified and troubled him. Okay, he had a dream that terrified and troubled him. Well, deja vu here, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like, didn't we have this happen before with him? Okay, 
where he had a dream and it terrified and troubled him. Now, you're going to notice something now that uh, he does something a little bit different here. He's learned a lesson, okay? Because before when he had a dream and he called, well, here, let's see it. The, 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 the king decreed that all the wise men come before him to interpret the dream. Now, remember when he did this before, what did he ask of the, of the, of the officials who came before him? He said, interpret my dream, but you also have to what? Tell me what I dreamed. Okay, remember, and, and of course Daniel came before him and said, there's no way anybody could do that except God. Okay, now, here's what happens. So he, he has all the wise men come before him, and after the king told them the dream, see, he's changed now, he tells them the dream. All right, after he told them the dream, the wise men could not interpret it. So nothing's new here. These guys, in their pagan beliefs, and whatever, whatever methods they use for interpreting dreams, couldn't understand the dream at all. They can't interpret it. All right? So now, the last person to appear before the king is who? Daniel. Daniel was the last advisor to appear before the king. All right? Now, look at how the king views Daniel. This is, to me, is very interesting, okay? This is how the king views Daniel. The king asked Daniel to interpret because the Spirit of God had dwelt Daniel. Do you think he's got a pretty high view of Daniel? When you read that text, do you think he's got a pretty high view of Daniel? What's he recognize in Daniel? There's something different about Daniel, and he says the Spirit of God is in Daniel, indwells Daniel. So, okay, so he's asking Daniel to interpret because the Spirit of God indwelt Daniel. All right? Let's go on a little bit now. So he's going to tell Daniel the dream. There was a great tree in the midst of the earth. So he, in his dream, he sees this huge tree that's kind of like taking over the earth. All right? The tree was, had a, has abundant fruit, and it provided, it provided for all living things. So it provided shelter and food. And so this this tree was it provided for everyone. Then he sees what he says is a watcher or a holy one. Now we would know that as what? An angel. Okay? A holy one called for the tree to be chopped down. So out of the out of the heavens comes this holy one, this angel, and he calls for the tree to be chopped down. This is happening in his dream. All that remained, what was left, so they didn't uproot the tree. They left the stump. The stump remained bound with a band of iron and bronze. Okay? So a stump was left bound with iron and bronze. And here's what he says about this stump. It will dwell with the cattle in the field, and it will have the mind of a beast. Wow, that's kind of wild. So this stump's going to remain. It'll dwell with the cattle in the field. We can, you know, we, we've seen that in the pasture field. Maybe see a stump there and the animals. But a stump have the mind of the beast? That's kind of odd. Okay. Then here's what he says. It will occur for a period of seven times. Okay. It'll appear for a period of seven times. Now here's why all this is going to take place. The, the, the watcher, the holy one, says this. This decree is sure, so this is going to happen, 
and is given for the purpose of declaring God's sovereignty. In fact, look exactly at what it says there. In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. All right, now here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bible, if you don't mind marking in your Bible, put a, put a star by verse 17 in your Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Because, you know, I, I get distressed when I listen to Christian radio, okay? I get distressed when I read Christian publications. I get distressed by the emails that I get. And, and I'm going to tell you why I get distressed. It, it's almost like we've forgotten who's in control. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like we've forgotten. So we, we look at who, who, who gets selected as a judge or who gets appointed to this cabinet position, or we get freaked out by who gets elected governor, or we get freaked out by who's elected uh, uh, president or whatever, and, and about this bill that gets passed and about this court decision, and we get all freaked out by all of these things. Am I right? Am I the only one that's hearing that kind of stuff? Do, do you have a general sense that Christendom today is freaked out in North America? Okay, here's the reality. We've forgotten something. Who is ultimately in control? God is. In fact, verse 17 says that. In fact, here, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Verse 17 is not the only time it's said. You're going to see it said several more times in chapter 4, and then you're going to see it repeated again in chapter 5. What's the point here? The point of what we're going to look at in this passage is this. God is the one who sets up kings, and he takes them down. God is the one who sets up rulers, and he takes them down. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is ultimately the one who brings all of this to pass. And you and I need to realize that and not get freaked out by it. Yeah, go vote. I mean, I'm going to vote for what, where I lean politically, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not going to get freaked out if my guy doesn't win. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people get freaked out by that. And of all the people in the world who should know better and who should be prepared, it's got to be who? Christians. Because we should have a better understanding of where everything is moving towards and not get freaked out by stuff. And people do get freaked out. I mean, they get freaked out really well. I mean, terrible. And so this is the purpose of this dream. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 4, the whole purpose of this dream and what's going to happen here is so that you and I understand who is what in control. That's the whole purpose of this passage. So let's look at the interpretation, all right? Let's look at how Daniel interprets it. Look with me at verse 19. And, and pay attention here, folks. When you look at verse 19, pay attention to what Daniel thinks about the king, okay? Pay attention. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. 
So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in the branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw the watcher, the holy one, come down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump, roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let it graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And they shall wet you with the dew of the heaven. Seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured you after you have come to know that Heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Wow, what, a, what an interpretation. So let's see what's going on here. Okay, Pretty wild. He's talking about the king here. Daniel is called to interpret what others cannot since he has the Spirit of God. So the king says, hey, Daniel, don't let this bother you. You've got the Spirit of God. You can handle this. Tell me what's going on here. Don't be troubled. Now, Daniel, it's interesting, was astonished and troubled by a dream for a period of time. So he, it's obviously he's there before the king. He didn't just immediately tell him. It, the, the impression of the text is, is he kind of just kind of stood there, probably mouth open wide, like, oh. You know, like listening to this, he knows what's going on. So he was astonished and troubled by the dream for a period of time. Here's the other thing. The king reassured Daniel not to be troubled. Isn't that interesting? Like, don't be bothered by this, Daniel. So there's obviously some kind of relationship here. Do you see that? There's obviously some kind of relationship here between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. In fact, how I can say that is this. Daniel proclaimed that he wished the fulfillment of the dream on, ki on the king's enemies. I don't think he's just saying that because he's before the king. I think he genuinely cares for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, because he's been serving Nebuchadnezzar. This is sometimes toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So he's been serving the king for a while. And I think he genuinely cares for the king. The king obviously cares for Daniel. And he's like, hey, king... I'm not bothered by this. I just wish that this fulfillment would happen to your enemies, those who hate you, rather than... Because here, here's why. 
The great tree is the king, and his greatness has reached the ends of the earth. Now, let me just stop for a moment so that you understand what it means by the ends of the earth here. Daniel is written in the Mediterranean world. At this time period, their concept of the world was the great sea, which was what? The Mediterranean Sea. And their concept of that world was the nations all around the Mediterranean world. So to them, the known world was what? The Mediterranean world. They had no concept of North America, South America. They had very little concept of China or the rest of Africa. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you talk about Babylonia and the greatness of the king, it would be known to them, to the end, to them, the ends of the earth is the ends of the Mediterranean world. So before anybody thinks about it and says, well, you know, I just can't really believe that the Indians, the Incas and the, and the Aztecs and the Mayans had a concept of Nebuchadnezzar here in North America. No, they didn't. They never even knew who Nebuchadnezzar was. Okay? The point is, is that in the Mediterranean world, they did know who Nebuchadnezzar was. Because he was ruler over most of it. Okay? As far as the Middle Eastern part. Alright, let's go on. The decree of the Holy One is against the king. So Daniel says, look, this decree of the watcher is against you, king. It's against you. Now, the king will be driven from men and dwell with the animals of the field. So he's going to be driven out of his kingdom, out of his throne, and he'll live with the animals of the field. He's going to be living outside is what he's basically told here. He will eat grass and sleep outside for a period of seven times. Now, here in the scripture, times refers to, especially in the book of Daniel, refers to years. So the guy's going to be sleeping outside for seven years. Okay? He's going to live outside with the animals, eating grass, and sleeping outside for a period of seven years. Wow. Okay? Let's go on. It will occur until the king knows that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. So this is how long is this going to take place with the king? Until he gets to the place that he understands and recognizes what, folks? That God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. So this is going to take place till he gets his act together, till he understands that God is sovereign. Now, the stump represents that the king will be returned to his throne. So once that happens, the stump lets him know that he's going to be returned to his throne. He's going to be able to go back to the throne. So now notice now Daniel's advice. This is interesting. Daniel calls the king to cease from his sins and thus prolong his prosperity. It's like, okay, king, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. This is what's going to happen to you, but you got a chance. you got a chance here, king. Stop your sinning. Quit your oppression of the poor, and maybe your prosperity will be prolonged. Now, listen, let's just stop for a moment. Let's say you had a dream like this, and Daniel, the, the servant of God, was here, and he told you this dream, and he told you that... This dream represents you. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go out and live outside in the woods with the bears through the winter and everything, eating acorns and eating grass. 
you know, for seven years until you come to the place of recognizing God is, is it. And, 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 and someone tells you, now, the only way to stop this is you just quit doing wrong. What are you going to do? You're going to try to quit doing it. You're going to be like, well, you know, I think I need to adjust my schedule here. Adjust my attitudes. Do you know what I'm saying? Because the guy who's telling you that has already told you something before, and you obviously know the Spirit of God's on him. You're going to do something about it, right? You would hope to do something about it, right? Okay? Well, let's keep reading on, because obviously the king doesn't get it. Look with me at verse 38 through 37. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Look at verse 38. Wow, what a statement. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. Look at this. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and honor of my majesty? Wow. Guy's not humble, is he? Okay? That's kind of like you if you built your house. Is this not my dwelling place that I built, you know, designed and went and bought the material for, that I designed by my intellect and brain power and smarts, you know? All right, let's go on here. Look at what he says. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, so while he's speaking, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be like the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and, give, and, and gives it to whomever he chooses. Again, there it is. There's that statement again. The Most High rules. He gives it to whomever he chooses. And that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of the heaven till his hair, look at what happens, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird claws. And at the end of the time, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is, for, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is, for, is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and the splendor returned to me, my counselors and nobles resorted to me that I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of Heaven, and all whose works are truth, and whose way justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Wow! All right, let's talk about this. The prophecy was fulfilled in the king's life 12 months later. So remember I told you, if it was you, what would you do? Everybody here would be like, well, I would do it! Okay? Well, here's human... Here's, here's, this is a lesson in humanity. At first, 
probably for the first few weeks, first six weeks, maybe first couple of months, maybe the first three months, you'd be like doing your best to do what's right. But after a while, you're just going to revert back to what? To the way you were. How do you know that, George? Well, remember the last time your mama and daddy threatened you? That if you ever did something again like that again, they would whoop you. They would, uh, they, you'd, you'd regret the day you were born. How many of you heard that kind of statement? You know, you'd, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? You were told, don't do that kind of thing or it, it's going to be hard on you. And for the first couple of months, you did okay. But guess what? After things got back to normal and life was back to normal, guess what you did? You know what I'm saying? Now, with Nebuchadnezzar, it's 12 months. Okay? 12 months. Here's what else happens. In his pride, the king, the king claimed for himself the glory of building his kingdom. So, again, I mean, he's looking around and says, well, look what I've done. This couldn't happen without me. All right? So, while a voice from heaven proclaims that the judgment of the prophecy shall be executed upon him. So, while he's even saying it. It's got to freak you out. While you're saying it, there's this voice from heaven that the judgment's going to happen. At that time, it's too late, right? At that time, it's too late. So the prophecy is fulfilled. The king immediately lost his mind. He lost his mind and lived like an animal in the field. Now, here's what we know from archaeological records and from historical records. Because some people said, is this possible? Well, inside the world, because they can't picture that the king would lose his mind and just go outside the kingdom without somebody wanting to kill him. When you're the king, you have enemies, right? Okay? So there's no way possible they're saying that this could possibly have happened. Well, what we know from the, from the Babylonian palace at that time is, is that inside the Babylonian palace was a garden with trees. Now, we're not talking about like your little plot of garden that you guys, you and I have where we plant our tomatoes and our cucumbers and our zucchini, okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about a huge palace, and in it was a huge park, a park. So think about like Central Park in New York, okay? Have you ever been to New York and you've seen Central Park? It's like woods in the middle of the city, okay? So think about that's what it's like. So he basically lost his mind, and he lived in the palace in this woods, okay? So it rained on him. He ate the grass. I mean, he basically was nutso, okay? I mean, he's, he's, he's lost it, all right? So he lived like an animal in the field. Now, the description of him, people are like, hair like eagle's feathers and, and fingernails like bird's claws. What's going on there? Well, he does not take care of his physical appearance. Hey, let me ask you a question here. What would your hair be like if you never washed it, and you didn't you didn't go to you didn't go to the beauty salon to get it cut? What would it be like? No conditioner, no shampoo. You're getting rained on. You're you're messing around in the dirt, and, the, and you know what's it going to be like? A rat's nest. It's going to be like, and it's described as what? Eagle's feathers. Okay. Now, I've never seen a feather of an eagle, but I have seen crows, okay, and their feathers after they've been shot. That, I mean, just think about it. It'd be pretty nasty here, right? Okay. Now, how many of you, what would your fingernails be like if you went seven years without cutting them? Do you know what I'm saying? It would look like what? 
claws. In fact, I think if, I think there's a lady somewhere out in is it Nevada or something who holds the world's record for the longest fingernails. You know what I'm saying? And, and she looks like she's walking around like a big bird from something from some horror flick or something with her, but she's got them all painted, okay? But, I mean, so you picture this guy. He's not taking care of his physical. He's lost his mind. He's living outside, sleeping in, the, sleeping in this park. He's not taking care of his physical appearance. He's lost his mind. But here's what it says. After seven years, the king came to his senses and acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Let me just stop for a moment. In your notes, I want you to put a star by this point. This is a key point throughout the Bible. What do you mean? You'll see it a lot in the New Testament. For instance, in the story of the prodigal son. What does it say in the story of the prodigal son? That he was taking care of the pigs, eating their whatever. And then he, what? It says, the scripture records, that he came to his what? Senses. He had a change of mind concerning the sovereign God. There's an interesting passage over, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. It talks, the, the instructions are to, to uh, Timothy, as he's pastoring that church, to pray for those who are in opposition, who are causing problems with the church, that they come to their what? Senses. That they come to their, under, to their, to their senses about what they're doing. And Repent. So usually coming to your senses here is often equated with repentance. Okay? So here, let me help you with something. Maybe you know somebody, and they're not doing right. Maybe they came to, went to church. Maybe, you know, they're backslidden now. Use the old term, backslidden. They're not doing right. And, and you're like, how do I pray for them? How do I pray to them? Here's what you've got to pray for them. You pray for them that they come back to their senses. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That they come to their senses that they come to their understanding of who God is and his sovereignty in their lives and their need for him. You pray for, their, for, for, their, for them to come to have a sense of who he is, to come to his senses. Now, here's what happens. Now, he comes to his senses, he gets back his mind, and the king was immediately restored to his kingdom. Now, if things were a little bit different back then. If that happened now, they would say, well, we need to have at least six or seven evaluations, call in the counselors, make sure he's got it all together, let's take some tests, you know what I'm saying, and uh, let's see if he's really before we put him back in. That's not the way they operated back then. If you had your mind back together and you were the king, they put you back in as the king. Okay, so he was restored immediately to his kingdom. Now, here's what the king does. The king acknowledged the power of God and his ability to bring low the proud. Over and over, that's a theme in the Bible. God is the one who will lift up the humble, but he will bring low the proud. You and I need to understand that. You and I need to understand that. He will bring low the proud. Now, here's what else is happening here. Next week, we're going to see that this lesson should have been learned by the king's family. But obviously, it wasn't. Because next week, we're going to progress a few years forward to a king by the name of Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, who should have learned this lesson, but he didn't. And he's going to be judged for it. Because he's going to see not a dream. He's going to see the vision of a hand writing on the wall. He's actually going to see a handwriting on the wall, which freaks him out. And Daniel comes in and gives an understanding of what's going on here. 
Grab a coffee, guys. Let's get ready for the morning worship service.